G'day listeners, I'm Party Parslow and this is episode 10 of series 2 of Party in China because, just like General MacArthur, I have returned to resume the challenge of understanding the Chinese. MacArthur only had to withstand the Japanese. Much easier. One of the symptoms of sleep deprivation is an inability to perform mental arithmetic. So it took me a while to work out that as I'd awoken in Sydney at 3.30am to pack and the clocks in Shanghai airport said 1.30am, I'd been on the go for 24 hours. I needed sleep, so I slept. Not sure for how long though, I didn't feel much better when the Sentry part of my brain told the sleeping rest of it that our flight was being called. As I struggled up, one of the cabin crew was heading over to wake me, easing my fear of abandonment and leaving a lingering impression of polite efficiency from Air China. Back on the same plane, in the same seat, with the same lack of legroom and the same elbow fight for the shared armrest, which I won, but... My prize was for my rival to curl up in the fetal position with his head on the window ledge, his feet in the seat pouch in front of him and his ass in front of my face. Approaching Beijing, we caught up with our northward moving thunderstorm for yet another strobe-lit wild ride. Arriving just in time to queue for ages to show documents to yet more people in uniforms. It's times like this that you understand why they won't let you smile in your passport photo. Thanks to the storms, four flights had arrived simultaneously, so there was quite a crowd collected around the only operating carousel. Not that it was operating yet. The horde was becoming quite restive and vocal about half an hour later when the belt finally started to move. I'd positioned myself in front of one of the openings where the bags would appear and had spent the time internally repeating a positive affirmation. First bag out. First bag out. First bag out. First bag out. out. My bag was not the first bag out, nor the second bag out nor the 207th. As each piece of luggage slid from the conveyor belt to the carousel, it hit a small metal bar designed to stop it falling onto the floor. Soft bags made no real sound. More solid ones issued a quiet thud. However, one middle-aged Chinese man next to me was inspired to say, Dung! as a bag hit the bar. Not one dung, not two dung, not even 207 dungs, each and every bloody time. The woman on the other side of me almost immediately took up his chant. So now I had stereo. Dung! Others joined in the jolly jape, and dang was soon in surround sound, and that was when I started to laugh and could not stop. 
Jet lag hysteria, I suppose. 40 or 50 minutes later, the last dung had been rung. The scrum had long since disbanded. I was the only one still waiting and had no more laughter in me. No new baggage had appeared for quite a while and the few lonely bags still circling looked as tired and miserable as I felt. A passing staff member took pity and pointed out the lost luggage counter, which was nice and helpful. There was nobody there, so not that helpful, but still quite nice. I decided to go to the hotel which Summer had booked for me and sort the missing luggage out when I came back to the airport in a few short hours. But as I turned to leave, the conveyor belt made a clunking, grunting noise and, like an anorexic model vomiting up a half-forgotten cheesel from last night's after-party, belatedly spewed out my bag. (coughs) Then the carousel stopped and the lights went out. Mine was the last bag out, not the first bag out. Perhaps my positive affirmation had been back to front. Customs were supremely uninterested in me and my late luggage, so I soon emerged into the Beijing night, a noisy, confronting experience. Not because of the still-raging thunderstorm, but due to dozens of touts who instantly assailed me, demanding, You want taxi? You want taxi? Where you go? Where you go? I politely invited them to piss off and headed for the taxi rank where I was reunited with almost all my old friends from the baggage carousel. There must have been four or five hundred people in the queue and not a single cab in sight. My next plane was supposed to leave at 8.10 that morning and I was supposed to check in a couple of hours before that. It was now nearly five o'clock, and it looked like I'd be in the cab queue until well past dawn. There seemed no point in even trying to make it to the hotel, although it was a shame to abandon the opportunity of a shower, a nap, and clean clothes. I turned around and the touts swarmed once more. One with better English offered me a limo to the city for 300 yuan. Uh, $50 Australian then. But the Jinhang Xian International Hotel was, allegedly, just five minutes from the airport, nowhere near the CBD. Not that any of them could tell me where my hotel was or what they charged to take me there. Heading back inside to find a bench for a snooze seemed like a good idea. It was a good idea. So good, maybe a thousand people had thought of it already. Wherever I looked, bodies were draped on seats, counters, tables, some in very awkward positions. It looked like there'd been a nerve gas attack. Except, I'm not sure if drooling and farting are common symptoms of nerve gas poisoning. All the restaurants, bars and shops were closed, except for one convenience store where I bought some water and was considering some alcohol to help render me unconscious when I suddenly remembered 
I had two large bottles of Bushmills Irish whiskey in my bag. The fact that I'd forgotten them at all showed how tired I was. It's a very large terminal, yet as I wandered around looking for a place to lie down, every conceivable spot was taken, no matter how cramped and uncomfortable. After maybe another kilometre or so in a far corner overlooking the tarmac, I found a kidney-shaped flower bed surrounded by a stone bench. Although every millimetre of bench was taken up with prostate people, plus several more intertwined among the shrubbery, there was sufficient space between the bench and the window for me to stretch out on the floor. A half hour of experimentation with various combinations of towel and jackets as pillows and blankets resulted in no acceptable sleeping arrangement. So I jammed everything back in the bag and used it as a backrest as I sat sipping bushmills and watching the lightning outside while warming up inside. If I hadn't been exhausted to the point of hallucination, it might have been quite nice. Nearly half a bottle of bushmills later, around dawn, bit after, many of the comatose crowd started to stir. Stiff and bent, they walked slowly and at weird angles. But, as the saying goes, it's an ill zombie wind that blows nobody good. I was able to lie down at last. Only on a curved stone ledge, but comfort is relative. I sort of slept then, but just a shallow, watchful doze. Which was good, because I was able to jump to my feet when a young, mad-looking Russian man came at me screaming abuse through spit-flecked lips. Unconcerned by either my size or demeanour, he raised his fists. But luckily, his blonde, lithe and tattooed girlfriend interposed herself between us and spoke calmingly to him while caressing his cheek and neck. I imagined she was some sort of bear trainer in a circus. God knows what she promised the loony, but his rabid eyes finally left my face and were transfixed instead on her bum as she led him away. I suppose I'd either stolen their cold, hard ledge or he'd mistaken me for his double-crossing mafia bosque from Minsk. Whether I could have fallen back asleep after that alarming incident will never be known, as the terminal soon hustled and bustled with thousands of noisy travellers, and any kind of sleep became impossible. Hearing oneself think became problematic. When inhaling for a huge yawn brought an unpleasant whiff of me unwashed, I decided I needed a shower and vaguely remembered seeing a sign for one in an airport gents' room at some stage during yesterday's long journey. Half an hour or so of retracing my steps failed to relocate that shower sign. So instead of physically searching, I found a seat, closed my eyes, and hit rewind on my memory. After quite a lot of mental scanning, intense concentration, 
and a ruthless procedure of elimination of irrelevant images, I was able to isolate that particular memory and know for certain exactly where the much-needed shower was. The human mind really is a wonderful thing. Oh, if you're wondering, I'd seen the shower in Sydney Airport, not Beijing Airport. Not helpful. I cleaned up as best I could in what you Americans call a washroom, quite aptly, and then reveled in the simple joy of a clean shirt and underwear. But it came with a price. Not to me. The price was paid by the Chinese passengers who were unlucky enough to walk in there when I was naked. After a long walk back to the check-in area, I found it already seething with crowds. I remembered to relegate the whiskey to checked luggage. I'd miss my Bushmills buddies, but didn't want to relive the trip back from Hong Kong and the sad and unfortunate HP sauce incident. After a chicken burger breakfast at KFC, hey, I was very tired and half drunk and making strange choices. I went looking for the gate for my final flight to Lian Yungang. It was a long, long way away, and I didn't arrive until around 7.20, so had 30 minutes until boarding commenced. I also had a very comfortable bench, all to myself, so after catching the eye of the Air China lady at the counter to make sure she knew I was there, I stretched out in upholstered comfort with my rolled-up towel as a pillow. Thank you, Douglas Adams, for the advice, never travel without a towel. Almost immediately, I drifted off into dreamland. Yet more yelling jolted me awake. Three very angry Chinese business types were berating the Air China lady. One particularly aggressive gnome went behind the counter and tried getting on her computer. I mean, who knows what he thought he could achieve. After a few minutes of escalating volume and ferocity, she dialed a number and handed the handset to the gnome and then stormed off. He yelled down the phone, but whoever was on the other end just hung up on him. The aggressors were temporarily left without a victim and stood at a loss for a minute or two until another Air China employee walked in from the tarmac and was immediately assailed. He was initially surprised, but then dealt with them quite well. Around now, I realised two things. One was that it was 8.09 and my plane left at 8.10. The other was that the Air China lady who'd stormed off was the one I'd expected to wake me for my flight. I shut up the three yellers by demonstrating what a yell really sounded like and showed the Air China guy my boarding pass. He glanced at the computer screen and said, Gone. I glanced at the clock. Exactly 8.10. Probably the first time in aviation history that an Air China flight had left on time. Well, what do I do now? Gone. Change ticket. Where can I change my ticket? Air China. Your Air China. Gone. 
chance ticket. As he turned to deal with the other three, now nice and quiet and uncomplaining, an Indian woman in a beautiful bright blue sari hurried up to the counter saying that she'd missed the plane too because she'd napped through boarding as well. So I can now truthfully claim that I've slept with a woman in Beijing Airport. In our next episode, can I triumph over this endless adversity or will I return defeated to a land down under? Or shall I ignore my exhaustion, abandon common sense, go sightseeing and end up totally lost? I think you know the answer to that last one because I'm party Parslow and I have the anecdote gene. Thank you for listening to Party in China. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.